My friends, little and big, young and old, welcome to this episode of Finnerin's Wake for kids. The stories here told stand at the very heart of our culture, a culture to whose ancient rhythm and musical pulse each and every one of our souls is tuned. The following story, with which I've the great pleasure to inaugurate or begin this channel, is one of my favorites. It features boastful and wrathful gods, bows and arrows, an enchanted lover, a wild chase through nature, and a beautiful young girl's magical transformation into a tree. Accepting almighty Zeus, the thunder-wielding god by whom the skies are governed and the clouds controlled, no god was more important to the Greeks than Apollo. A child of Zeus, Apollo inherited many of his father's amazing gifts and soon became one of the most powerful and beloved young gods. He represented, among other things, beauty, proportion, art, order, poetry, prophecy, archery, music, medicine, and law. Wow! Can you imagine being famous for so many things? Apollo's abilities knew no bounds. Not only was he very handsome and athletic, but he was extraordinarily artistic and bright. Indeed, he was so bright that people gave him the nickname Phoebus, which means shining. Can you say Phoebus? <laughs> Can you say Apollo? <laughs> I bet you can. Apollo, or Phoebus, shined so brightly that people began to think he was the sun. He got all A's on his tests, never spelled a word incorrectly, and seldom, if ever, colored outside the lines. When strumming his lyre, which is a stringed instrument shaped like a harp, he never missed a note. And when shooting his bow and arrow, he never missed a target. As for Daphne, well, what can I say? She was a beautiful naiad or naiad, to whom the rushing rivers, winding streams, and tumbling waterfalls of the dense green forest were home. She was a nymph, a young maiden, a carefree, guileless girl who loved to swim and dance and play until the fall of night. Her father was Peneus, a river god, from whom little Daphne inherited a vigorous spirit. She was, in many ways, as strong-willed as the river's mighty current. One day, at the foot of Mount Parnassus, 
at whose high, chilly summit the nine muses pass their days in laughter, dance, <laughs> merriment, and song, Apollo noticed Cupid, winged god of desire and love, drawing his bow. Remember, Apollo, among his other achievements, was a masterful archer, or someone who shoots a bow with arrows. Apollo, proud of his distinction as the best archer in all the land, took one glance at the soft, fragile, effeminate little Cupid struggling to draw his bow and laughed. <laughs> Once he'd composed himself, he said to Cupid, in an unfriendly tone. <laughs> Mischievous boy, what are a brave man's arms to you? That type of gear belongs to me. My aim is sure. Yours is not. I saved the city of Delphi from the terrible python, that massive snake into whom I shot a thousand arrows, a deed for which my fans call me Pythian Apollo. You've accomplished no such feat. I'm a true hero. You merely play with people's hearts. Put down your bow. You don't deserve to use it. I alone am made to draw the bow. I alone, and no one else. Not a very nice thing to say to a fellow god. Cupid, incensed or made angry by Apollo's harsh words, decided, out of spite, to use his bow not on a lover's heart, his usual target, but on Apollo, the impolite and boastful god. From his quiver, he drew two arrows of opposing power. One shaft, tipped with gold, would excite love, while the other, tipped with iron, would extinguish it. Whereas the first would rouse, the second would rout love. Once touched by its tip, all feelings of affection and love would Vanish. Into Apollo's breast, Cupid fired the first golden arrow. What do you think happened? Well, Apollo fell wildly in love. But with whom? A beautiful nymph of the woods, the forest's prettiest naiad young Daphne, at whom Cupid aimed and shot his second leaden arrow. And what do you think happened to her? Do you remember the power of the second arrow? Upon being pierced by Cupid's leaden arrow, Daphne was suddenly disgusted by the thought of love. She thought it Worse than uncooked broccoli, yuck, and less tolerable than an hour-long time out. And so, 
Daphne decided never to fall in love with a boy. To all prospects of marriage, she closed herself off. She forswore ever having a boyfriend, much less a husband. Men, she decided, were a hassle by which she needn't be bothered. Who could blame her? In response to this, her father was quite upset, but Daphne was resolute. She explained to him that she wanted to follow in the footsteps of Diana, or Artemis, the celebrated goddess of the hunt and the field, of the wilderness and the moon, of chastity and vegetation, of whose virtue and purity all the world sang. No sooner had she made this declaration than Apollo noticed her in the woods. Remember, his heart was struck by the golden arrow of love by which he was overwhelmed, blinded, entranced. By which arrow was he struck? Do you remember? Ah, that's right. The golden arrow of love. And who shot him? Ah, of course. Cupid, the god of love. Wow, Apollo whispered to himself. Do my eyes deceive me? Or is that the prettiest girl I've ever seen? Her hair, some might say, is a bit messy, in need perhaps of a wash and a brush. But to me, it looks perfectly neat and elegant. And her eyes... They shine like dazzling stars all clustered in their constellations. And her lips, oh, they blush like delicate rosebuds in the early part of June. What a refreshing sight for my thirsty eyes. What an invigorating image for my wearied soul. I must know her. Apollo enamored of Daphne, tried in vain to get her attention. He tapped on her shoulder and passed her notes, sent her text messages and called her phone, but alas, she ignored him. She just continued to run through the woods all alone, dodging rocks and dancing nimbly around branches as she went. You run too fast, Apollo exclaimed, as he began to give chase. Check your swift flight, dearest Daphne, and I'll not chase so fast. Do you even know who I am? I'm no rough farmer, no unkempt shepherd guarding his flock. I'm neither a poor peasant nor a misbehaved boy. I'm Apollo, Phoebus. Lord of Delphi, son of Zeus. I'm the popular kid to whom you should pay attention. Claims to fame by which dear Daphne was unimpressed. How do you think she responded to Apollo? 
Do you think she turned around and fell into Apollo's arms? Do you think she agreed, right then and there, to become his wife? No! She ran even faster. Huffing and puffing, she sprinted through the dense bushes and trees through which she blazed her own path. But nymphs, we all know, cannot outrun gods, nor fear hope, nor can the wings of passion be clipped. Before long, Daphne's strength began to fade. Her endurance faltered. She was breathing heavily and sweating profusely as salty streams coursed from her brow down to her chin. She needed, more than ever, to sit down and take a rest, to have a drink of water, and let her feet recover. But Apollo was right behind her, and he was closing what little distance remained. Rest, sadly, was not an option. Should she stop now, her fate would be sealed. With hardly enough breath to speak, Daphne, in desperation, cried out to her father, Peneus, god of the river. Help, father, help! If mystic power dwells in your waters, change me and destroy my baleful beauty that has pleased too well. Her father, alarmed by the cry of his desperate daughter, was stirred from his aimless meandering to act at once. No sooner had she finished her breathless prayer than a strange feeling overcame her. It was unlike anything she'd experienced before. Her limbs, all of a sudden, felt stiff. Her elbows ceased to bend freely as she ran, while her shoulders became stuck in one place. Her bosom, her chest, became very tight, and her belly became hard, like a tree trunk. What a strange feeling this was. Curious, she looked down, only to find her torso completely wrapped in bark. Can you imagine? Your skin transformed into bark? Take a moment and check your own belly. Tap on it. If it is made of bark, stop this episode and go to your nearest arboretum, tree surgeon, or garden center. If there are monkeys swinging on you and bananas hanging off you, you might want to go more quickly. Back to Daphne. A glance back at her arms revealed, not arms, but leafy green branches and little sticks protruding from her hands, the very place from which her dainty, slender fingers once stretched out. Appendages, she thought, more suitable for a tree than for a girl. Her long, curly blonde hair, with which a proper comb was unacquainted, transformed in a flash to leaves. Shocked by what she felt and saw, Daphne looked down at her feet. She couldn't believe what she saw. Her feet, but now so swift, were anchored fast in numb, stiff roots. Her feet were roots. Fixed to the ground, she could run no more. 
all that remained was her head and face, which had become the crown of a lush green tree. Apollo, as a god, had seen many things, but this, even to him, was new. The beautiful girl, Daphne, by whom he was so smitten, with whom he was completely in love, was now a full-grown tree. Roots, trunk, branches, leaves, and crown, from bottom to top, no part was missing. And yet, Apollo loved her still. With no loss of affection, he approached the tree. On the trunk he placed his hand, beneath which he felt the beat of Daphne's heart. At first faint, it fluttered, but not with the excitement of a lover's glee. He held in his embrace her branches and pressed kisses on her silent wood. Yet from the kisses, the wood still recoiled. As if moved by the breeze, Daphne, now a tree, still tried to bend away. Apollo ignored this subtle swaying, this affront to his amours, and gave the tree a tight, loving hug. My bride, he said, since you can never be at least sweet laurel, you shall be my tree. My lyre, my locks, my quiver, you shall wreath. And so, the great poet, accompanied by his lyre, is given the laurel wreath. We call him today the Poet Laureate and celebrate his Apollonian genius. And when the Olympic athlete wins her race, She's crowned with a wreath of laurel. No other ornament befits a champion. Or when a scientist makes a grand discovery of, say, a medical treatment, a medicine, by which many lives will be saved, he's honored as a Nobel laureate. In this way, Daphne and the laurel tree live with us still. Next time you see a laurel tree, or any tree for that matter, don't be shy. Approach it like Apollo. Place your hand on its trunk. Feel its bark. Then place your ear to it. Maybe even your cheek. And tell me, if you detect Daphne's faint heartbeat. Can you hear it? Can it be felt? I think it can.
beneath the bark of every tree, a heart doth beat. Thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful adventure. Like I said, the story of Apollo and Daphne is one of my favorites. I hope, after hearing this episode, it's one of yours as well. The purpose of this channel is to entertain and enlighten the whole family, young and old, child and parent alike. With your support, we can achieve that end. We can rebuild an intelligent, curious, and lovable society. One in which we're all eager to grow up. Please, subscribe to this channel. Leave a five-star rating and, most importantly, share it with friends. Share it with your Facebook groups, your Instagram and Twitter followers, or your fellow parents at synagogue, church, the gym, or school. Let's raise together a generation of geniuses. Let's restore our cultural heritage. Let's not forsake our myths and heroes, the great men and women by whom our extraordinary culture and tradition is built. Visit my sister podcasts, Finnerin's Wake and Numa, for more adult material. And with that, farewell. From Finnerin's Wake, for kids. For kids.